Wednesday. This is a wonderful day. I, I, I get the chance to stand up here, and I just want to say thank you to uh, all of our fathers that are, especially those that are serving today. I know that there are several uh, dads that are serving here this morning, and uh, like our sound and our tech guys are here very early this morning and through both services, so I appreciate those guys for their service, and they're showing their kids what the kingdom work is about, amen, even on Father's Day, so that's great. So um, I also wanted to just mention, just as, I, as we were worshiping and as Pastor Jen was, was uh, praying, um, I just brought to mind all the dads that bring their kids on their own, and I, I just want to really thank you guys for doing that. I know there's several in our church that bring your kids to church on your own sometimes, and, and I really appreciate that, and that is, God is pleased with that, too. I just wanted to say that before I forgot, Amen. It's good. Amen. All right. So, is there anything else I was going to mention? I think that was it. Okay. So, everybody loves an underdog, right? Who, who likes an underdog story? Those make some of the best movies out there. This, this week, this week I, uh, I watched a movie I had not watched before. It's called Moneyball. Has anybody seen that one? Yeah. If, anyone like spreadsheets out there? Come on. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, yes, love those spreadsheets. It just it just brought tears to my eye. All the data that they were able to to leverage in that movie, to uh, yeah, to be successful. These guys are always making fun of me for my spreadsheets because I have this weird paradox in my personality that I love spreadsheets and I love just being musical too. So I don't know what that makes me, but anyway. So everybody loves an underdog story, um, and everyone um, everyone loves those types of stories. Uh, some of the most dramatic movies are those kind of stories, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of explain a couple of movies to you, and then you're going to guess the movie title, okay? So, you're, so pay attention. This is fun. In the first service, someone got each one, so that's great. All right, so the, here's the first movie. This is what this movie's about. It's called, or it's, a, it's about overcoming systemic racism, discrimination, physical injuries, and harsh opposition. Does anyone know? Have a guess. Born ultimatum. The born ultimatum. <laughs> I wouldn't really call him an underdog, I gotta say, but <laughs> the blind side? Oh, that's a good one. That is a really good one. It's very close. There's there's another football story. Remember the Titans. Thanks, honey. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> Remember the Titans. I love that. Everybody loves some Denzel, right? Seriously, yeah. Um, here's another one. This, this movie is about overcoming social and economic obstacles, rebuilding personal integrity, uh, dis- and, and destructive political posturing and ambition. Does anyone bring to mind any movie? It's called Aladdin. It's a cartoon, actually. There's a lot of political posturing in that from Jafar, right? Yeah. Um, here's the next one. Victim. Uh, this movie is about a victim of a wrongful conviction, overcoming low expectations, abusive power structures, and a temptation to give up. Anybody have any guess? Shawshank. You got it. Shawshank Redemption. I love that movie. It's got a great soundtrack, too. <laughs> this, here's the last one. Here's, this this movie is about overcoming bad work ethic, religious dogmatism or legalism, Low expectations and some and a little bit of evading assassins. Yeah, that one too. Okay. 
Just here's a, a hint, Mike. None of them were born in ultimatum. He <laughs> should know that. He was here in the first service, but whatever. <laughs> Anyone guess? It's a little one called Sister Act, actually. Yeah. So that one, that is a big hit in our, in our house, um, is Sister Act. <laughs> so those are some great underdog stories, and everyone loves uh, an underdog. But, but if you are the underdog at the time, you don't really enjoy it, right? Because if you're actually in a situation where you feel like an underdog, what that actually means is that you have a low expectation of actually being successful, right? You, 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 you feel like the odds are stacked against you, right? I mean, is there any Seattle Kraken fans in the house? I mean, apparently not. <laughs> we'll get there, I guess, at some point. But in life, if you are an underdog, it's, it's, it's not as exciting as what those movies project, right? Um, it's only exciting if you know for sure what the outcome is, right? And, and that you will be able to overcome your obstacles. So, so what is it like to feel like an underdog? Today we're going to actually look at uh, an underdog story from the, the book of Revelation here as we continue our series uh, in the Not As It Seems series as we, d- as we explore the book of Revelation. And over the last many weeks, we've been looking at some stories and some letters about these chur- to these churches, and, and God has usually linked up some compliments with them and some rebukes and some corrections for these churches. And so the one that we're looking at today is actually one that there's only compliments and encouragement. So I, I appreciate being uh, the one that gets to preach that one, so that's easy. So that's great. But in this letter... Uh, to the church in Philadelphia, Jesus commends, he commends an, a weak and oppressed um, group of believers for their perseverance. And, and then he promises their rescue. But then he doesn't stop there, but he commissions them to further work in his kingdom. Okay, so if, if you know, in many ways, all of us are underdogs, I think, from time to time. We, we all have these failures. We have these sins. We have all felt like we are at a disadvantage or that the odds are stacked against us in some way. And sometimes maybe, maybe that's what you're going through right now in your life. You feel like you're an underdog or an outsider. Um, and so this is something that we all have in common because none of us have done enough good in our lives to, to really earn our salvation or earn uh, God's love because God's love is a free gift that came at His cost. Amen. And so we're all in this boat together. All of us are underdogs in, in a sense. And, and so when we look at this passage, if we were to really boil down everything in this passage that we'll read here in a minute, it really comes down to this, where Jesus is saying to this church, I'm proud of you. Stick with it. Because greater things are still coming. Greater things are still coming. So let's, let's go ahead and read our passage here from Revelation chapter 3, verses 17. Two thirteen, and the passage will be on the screens here as well. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, Yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, 
to come and bow down at your feet, they will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's pray as we have read God's Word. God, you are so good, and we are thankful for what you're speaking to us, Lord, right now. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to what uh, you're challenging us in. I pray that you would encourage those that are, that are feeling oppressed and like outsiders or underdogs, Lord, right now. And Lord, I pray, God, that as we continue to obey you, Lord, that you would challenge us, God, to, to continue on and go walk through those doors that you're opening to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title for today is what we're looking at. It's called Big Plans for the Underdog. Big Plans for the Underdog. Sounds like a good movie title, right? Or something? I don't know. What's that? What's that uh, I'm thinking of a movie about there's an underdog. Anyway, there's lots more movies. <laughs> there's actually a movie called Underdog, but it's just like a dog that talks. But anyway. All right. Big plans for the underdog. All right. So we have been talking about um, multiple cities in Greece and, um, and multiple, over the, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about various cities. And, and this city that we're talking about today wasn't actually as prominent as many of those cities. Um, it, it's, it's more important because uh, really a, it was on the way to somewhere important. Right, so there was it was kind of a, along the way for military types of routes and for commerce and 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 that type of thing, and and so it wasn't really that uh, important of a city, and and so in a way this whole city itself was kind of an underdog and and it but you know it was known for its vineyards and its dates I guess, um, but but it was really most known for some tragedy that would that happened there. And because it was actually in close proximity to an active volcano, and and which throughout its history had actually led to um, these tremors and these earthquakes that had basically decimated and destroyed the city, and and so little is known actually about the culture or religion of this city, um, potentially because it was destroyed, and and. So the temples and things like that didn't really exist very often, and so they didn't they get, they didn't become well known for those types of things. Um, one of one of the most notable landmarks, though, today is is a is a church actually named after the Apostle John, um, because as we know, these letters in the Book of Revelation are be, are being written to these churches that John was overseeing. And so this, this here, you can see in this picture, this, these are the pillars of this church that existed. And so, obviously, it's massive. You can see the scale there. But um, this, of course, didn't get built until many, many years after this letter <laughs> was written. Because um, at the time, John was um, sitting on an island 
in exile. So, um, but one of John's disciples, his name was named, uh, he was named Ignatius of Antioch. And for all your history buffs, this is a different guy than Ignatius of Loyola. That's a guy way later. Um, but Ignatius of Antioch was one of the disciples of John, and, and he was, um, became one of the pastors that oversaw many of these other churches as well as John uh, passed away. And, and so you can read actually one of Ignatius's, Ignatius's, that's a fun word, um, one of his letters that was written to the church at Philadelphia, and it actually mentions some of the same themes about resisting the uh, Jewish religious leaders and, and those types of things. And so it's interesting to see that theme as it goes along. Um, so, but why was this such an important topic, this whole Jewish religious oppression of the Christians? You know, in Jewish culture, the local synagogue uh, was more than a place to read Scripture on the Sabbath. It was really where local civ- civic matters were taking place, and, and it was really the core part of Jewish culture. And so in the Gospel of John, you know, so the Gospel of John talks about Jesus' life, shows us actually how some of the religious leaders at the time used expulsion from the synagogue to actually punish people that followed Jesus. And, and, and so there's a, there's a story here in John chapter 9 that, uh, where Jesus had healed a man and, and, and they were, the religious leaders were kind of investing, investigating what went on and there's a chance that he healed them on the Sabbath and broke some rules, you know, because if you're going to heal someone, try and follow the rules at least, right? But um, the parents of this man that was healed, he, uh, they didn't want to actually say anything in front of these religious leaders because they didn't want to, you know, you know, incriminate themselves with being in association with Jesus. So if you look here, John chapter 9, 22, says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had renounced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. What great parents, hey, what supportive parents, right? <laughs> So if we look further, actually, in Acts chapter 5, later on, we see this kind of in place as well. In verse 12, it says, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. So this, this fear of being expelled and kicked out of the synagogue was, was a very tangible fear. So when we look at this church in Philadelphia, Daryl John, Johnson writes this. He says, Many of the believers were Jews who, because of their faith in Jesus, had the door of the synagogue shut in their faces. They had been excommunicated, cursed, persecuted, disowned by family and their community. So while this church had suffered oppression and isolation from, from this local civic and cultural kind of community, Jesus promised that they would be rewarded and is challenging them to continue on in their obedience to Jesus. So let's jump back to verse 7 here again of our passage. This is what it says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. God is reminding these underdogs that God is still in absolute control. Absolute control. He starts this passage with first things first. And the first things first, that means his unmatched, unparalleled authority. 
absolute authority. He has the key of David, which, which is actually a, a throwback, ref, throwback reference back to Isaiah chapter 22. And it, it really talks about the absolute authority in the nation of Israel was this key of David. So Jesus is saying, yeah, you think that you're being oppressed and rejected from the Jewish community. But Jesus is saying, I have the key of David. I am the one in charge of it all right now. The king is in charge, complete charge. And so as Jesus opens up this passage with that portion, we know that everything that follows flows out of his absolute authority, absolute certain control over what's going on. God is still in in control. So as we proceed here into verse 8, it says, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. What is God saying here? He says, God is still opening doors. God is still opening doors. He says, I am in control, and I'm still opening doors for you. Even though they'd been kicked out and separated and essentially exiled from their Jewish community, God is saying, I'm still opening doors for you, and nobody can close those doors that I'm opening for you. And he says that he sees all that they've done, but he reminds them there's more to be done. There's doors that are opening for you. He's opened a door to them that no one can close. And And it's not just like this, like a blue ribbon type of reward, you know? It's not just like some flippant thing that he's just offering like a gold star. But there, this opportunity that he's opening up to this church is, is purpose-built for them. And it has very high intention from Jesus in that you've got to continue on. God is still opening doors. There's a high level of urgency to actually fall, walk through that door because this can be a game-changer in your life. Jesus says, you're weak, but you haven't given up. And maybe there's, there's some of us in the room today or following online that, that are really struggling right now. Maybe you feel like it's been just an absolute battle to get through the last week. God, is, God sees that, and he says to you, keep with it. You're weak, but you haven't given up. Are you ready to walk through that next door? What opportunities is God putting in front of you? Are you ready to walk through those doors? Because remember, God is opening those doors, and no one can close those doors that he is opening for you. And if God closes a door, nobody can open it. He is in absolute control. Verse 9, as we move forward here, it says, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. What's God saying to us? He's saying God will deal with the opposition, right? God's saying, he started off with saying, I'm in complete control. And then he says, I'm still opening doors. And then he says, I will deal with the opposition, these enemies that think that they're right, these enemies that think that you're wrong and, or maybe they're, and that, that, and they're lying to you or about you and, or lying to themselves about you, right? But God will force them to come to terms with his endorsement of you, is what Jesus is saying here. You know, and it's, 
it's easy for us to be tempted to actually defend ourselves, right? I mean, I've seen this in our kids very, very often, and in myself, of course. But it seems like as kids, you get a really clear picture of what, what uh, our carnal natures are like very quickly. <laughs> you catch the kids in a fight or something, and, and uh, you ask, as a good dad, I've done this a few times, I, I, okay, let's get to the bottom of what happened. Let's start from the beginning. But d- d- does anyone actually recount you know, what happened very accurately? No. <laughs> They're quick to say, so-and-so did this to me. And, and it's, anyway, we're so quick to, quick to defend our, ourselves and accuse others. But Jesus is saying that I'm going to handle the opposition. I'm going to handle them. He says he will force their enemies to bow down and acknowledge his endorsement to them. So if you feel like an outsider or an underdog because of your past experiences, you've got to know that God is the one who is going to help you with that opposition sometimes, all the time. He, was, he will be there. He reassures these people in this church in Philadelphia that those that oppose them will be forced to acknowledge God's blessing of them. And that tells me, since we know that, that Jesus says that I'm in complete control, that tells me that the opposition that comes up means nothing compared to the blessing that I have from Him. It doesn't even come close, right? It doesn't even enter the scales of balance. The blessing that God has placed in your life wipes out all that opposition as He moves you forward in following His plan for you. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Verse 10, as we move forward, it says, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. What's God saying to us? He's saying that God will reward continued obedience. You have obeyed God's command to persevere. We are commanded to persevere. Interesting how the, the persevering is actually a command. It's not a suggestion. <laughs> Perseverance isn't just trying to hang in there as long as you can until you can't make it anymore and then give up. Because if you if you enter that situation like that, then you're guaranteed to give up. Perseverance is about obeying God's command to stick with it. Stick with it. And, and he's rewarding that obedience with protection and rescue. The world would be tested, but Jesus was saying this, would be, this church would be protected from it. Wouldn't that be nice to hear? <laughs> for them, for sure. Jesus is coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Keep going. Keep going. You know, and I think of even the Apostle Paul had some elements in his life that caused him to feel like an underdog sometimes. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10, it says, For I am, at, at, I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God, who was working through me 
by His grace. So Paul is combining this, these two things here where we have God's uh, undeserved grace upon our lives. You know, we don't deserve that grace. We don't deserve that mercy, right? I, I, I know I don't. I know for sure you don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jesus came and paid the price to award us, to provide us that grace and that mercy because he knew that none of us can make it on our own. None of us. Even, even the apostle Paul knew that. He felt like an underdog and a little bit of an outsider among the apostles. So there's this, but there's this combined idea of this undeserved grace with this command to persevere. You can't, you can't have one without the other. And so to the Philadelphian church, Jesus is declaring that those who continue to persevere, he will call them victorious, victorious. Verse 12, as we continue, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be the citizens of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. This would have had really clear significance for the church in Philadelphia. You know, and like I said before, the city of Philadelphia was right next to this active volcano and had suffered devastation from earthquakes in the past. You know, and so at some points in their, in their history, they were destroyed and were in a process of rebuilding. Um, Daryl Johnson writes this, In A.D. 17, an earthquake leveled Philadelphia and Sardis. The Roman Emperor Tiberius extended kindness and generosity to rebuild the city. Out of gratitude, Philadelphia changed its name to Neo-Caesarea, meaning the new city of Caesar. You know, and after a natural disaster destroys a town, the residents are, are required to evacuate and, and, and find shelter elsewhere, right? You know, we've even seen this in Canada, right, in the last, you know, few years, where, you know, in particular, you have the, the fires in Fort McMurray or... Uh, even a few years further back uh, in Slave Lake, um, last year in Lytton, you know, and and I'll tell you, as we drove down the Fraser Canyon at spring break, um, we saw the devastation there. And, and I mean, you can't even get into, this, into the town of Lytton now. There's, they've fenced off, and there's a parking lot full of burned-out vehicles. It destroyed the town. And, and so... When something like that happens, you're forced to evacuate and try to rebuild your life somewhere else. You definitely feel like an outsider because you have lost where you were comfortable with. So Philadelphia was presented with this as well. And so when Jesus says that this underdog group of believers would become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it, Jesus is, again, reinforcing this idea that he is in complete control, right? And he has firm confidence that he's providing to you. So when this church received this letter, the people in the city would still likely, if at least some of them, maybe some of the older folks, would have had first-hand knowledge of this earthquake. And over the last many decades, they would have been rebuilding after that. And so when Jesus is talking to them about, you are going to be at the center of my new temple that I'm building, and the new city that I'm building. 
You know, because in every Roman city, the temples were very central to the city, right? All of the architecture, all the civil engineering would be centered around the temples because that was a huge part of their culture. And so Jesus is saying, not only am I building a new city, but you are going to be the pillars that hold up the temple that I'm building. This outsider, this underdog group of believers who were kicked out of their society, God is saying, you're going to be the center of it all. You are going to have a prominent blessing that no one will be able to take away from you. So, you know, many of us have experienced these times of destruction and this trial. Um, maybe you felt like you've been exiled or you've had to rebuild your life. Maybe you feel like an outsider or an underdog. Maybe you feel like the, the challenges of your past make you feel like you're such an underdog that no one would ever bet on you. You feel like maybe God would never have anything that, you, that he wants you to do because you're not worth it. Well, I got to tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. God has good things in store. For the outsiders and the underdogs, he has great things in store. Amen? God is saying to you, hang in there. Keep persevering. Keep obeying his word. And I think in some ways, you know, over the last couple of years, COVID was, was kind of a, a bit of an earthquake in terms of our church practices and our routines, right? I mean, you can imagine for, uh, you know, pastors, you know, we, we essentially go one Sunday where a bunch of people are here, and then the next Sunday we have to we have a makeshift, basically, TV studio, <laughs> make that in church, you know? And it, it was just like an earthquake that shook up our routines and what, our, what we're used to. And I think for many of you, maybe you're still, um, still rebuilding after COVID, still rebuilding some of your practices, your routines. So maybe it's your church routines, you know? And, and some of you are still in the process of reoccupying that space, you know, rebuilding that, that space for yourself. And, but I want to encourage you and, and, and tell you that God wants to make you a pillar of the temple as well. God wants to bring you back in and make you a core part of what he is doing. Amen? There, there, there is no outsiders in God's kingdom. He's going to bring you in, and he wants to use you greatly. So he's saying, hang in there, keep persevering, and obey my word. The culture around us, you know, has little use for churches. This came very clear in, during COVID as well um, in terms of, you know, some churches became quite well-known um, for their, how they handled COVID. <laughs> you know, and, and our, our, our faith generally and our beliefs don't really comply with what the world wants to, wants to see happen. You know, and so the world around us is kind of like this synagogue of Satan that, that Jesus is talking about here. You know, in many ways, that commitment in our culture to that unlimited tolerance sometimes becomes a religion of its own. So I think that we have a lot in common with this church in Philadelphia. Similar to them, you know, we've even started seeing some religious persecution take place in Canada. But like those believers in Philadelphia, God is challenging us today to persevere. Rebuild that city. Rebuild after that earthquake over the last couple of years. Repossess the city. Rebuild our homes. 
rebuild our faith. Don't dwindle away. Don't fall away. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Don't become apathetic. Don't forsake the gathering together with your brothers and sisters. Because here at church, here at Colwood Church, we are not dwindling away. We're not huddling away. We're not going to be afraid. And God is opening doors to us that we're going to walk through. And we're going to walk through them together. Amen? We're going to walk through them together. So, so we are going to need to work together to continue to persevere in our faith together. There's another quote from Mr. Johnson. The church in Philadelphia faced strong and even fanatical opposition from the threatened establishment. And in the face of such opposition, it would be tempting to develop what people call this huddle mentality. Let's just lay low for a while until the storm blows over. <laughs> no huddling, says Jesus. Look, I have put before you an open door. God is presenting in front of you and me an open door, an open door that nobody can close. And together as a church, we're not going to surrender to this huddle mentality. We're not going to close the doors. We're not going to fall away. You know, we're not going to become apathetic. We're not going to be afraid. We're not going to forsake gathering together because here at Colwood Church, we're going to step through the doors God is opening to us. And I want to challenge you in this. I want to give you an opportunity to really connect. We heard about the opportunities with VBS uh, here earlier. Um, but over the last couple of years, we haven't been able to do this event. And this summer, we're going to return to it. It's called Party in the Park. And, and it's one of our biggest events of the year, for sure. And so on Saturday, August 20th, we'll be heading to Colwood Elementary over here. And we're expecting probably about 1,000 people there. And so Kyle's going to be cooking lots of hot dogs. <laughs> and we're going to have bouncy castles. We're going to have face painting. We're going to have all kinds of fun things to bless our community with. And because we believe that this is a door that God is opening. And I want to tell you really quick. This is also already a little bit of a miracle this event is taking place because they told us that we wouldn't be able to book a school during August because of their maintenance stuff. But they were able to move their um, maintenance schedule around so that we could still use it. So God is already blessing this event, and I want to encourage you that we are going to need to all work together to carry this out. And with VBS as well, we need to work together. This is a door that we need to walk through together this door that God is opening to us. And we believe that as we walk through that door together, we're going to see people come to Jesus. We're going we're gonna to see them join our family. We're going to see them become pillars with us in this new thing that God is building, right? We're going to keep walking through those doors. So do you feel like an underdog? <laughs> your current obstacles, your trials, your shortcomings maybe, God is saying, I am in complete control. I'm opening doors to you. I'm going to handle your opposition. I'm going to continue to bless your perseverance. Because your trials and opposition has no bearing on what God wants to do through you. Has zero bearing. Amen? He is opening doors to, to you that only he can open. 1 Corinthians 15 says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Is ever useless. 
And we'll finish this passage here with this verse, verse 13 in Revelation chapter 7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So I want to challenge you as we close. What is God speaking to you? What is he speaking to you right now? Is it time to get back and start serving? Is it time to, to get back and come to church in person? Is it time to, to rebuild some of those um, faith practices and routines for your family? Is it time? Because at the end of each of these letters to these churches, Jesus is saying, anybody with ears should be paying attention. <laughs> I'm going to keep walking through these doors. Keep believing in the God who holds the keys. Amen? To all the doors. Just like Jesus said in this letter to this group of underdog believers, he says, I'm proud of you. Stick with it because great things are on the way. Great things are on the way. Let's pray. God, you are so good, and we are excited to see where you are bringing us, Lord. And even though we don't know what's on the other side of some of these doors that you have placed in front of us, Lord, we want to continue to persevere and obey you. And we trust that you're going to handle the opposition, and we trust that you're going to reward that perseverance and obedience, God. And so, Lord, we are excited to see what you're, where you're going to lead us and see how you can uh, build this kingdom with us as a part of it too, Lord. We're just excited to be a part of it. What a privilege it is to be a part of that, Lord. And we just pray, God, that you would bless our time, bless our dads today, and just thank you for them. And, and we just pray that you would lead us as, as we follow you in obedience, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, if, if you have a desire to serve or any questions about serving, just let me know. I'm also the serve pastor, so that's my gig. I love that. And so if you're interested in serving at VBS or at Party in the Park or in any other ministry of the church, please go ahead and go to callwoodchurch.com slash serve. There's a form there you can fill out. You can select what you're interested in most. And uh, we'd love to connect you with those serving opportunities. So bless you guys. Again, we have the photo wall back here. Make sure you get your photos with your kids and somebody will be back there to help take your photo if you need help. <laughs> and uh, yeah, happy Father's Day and we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great week.